Ahoy, it's your boy, and welcome to episode 39 of the podcast, This Is M, which you can subscribe to on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And uh, if you're already subscribed to the show and you're a fan, take a moment, give us a five-star review, and uh, type a couple sentences and let the good people of this world who might be window shopping for podcasts, uh, let them know why you like the show and why they should subscribe. Um, If you don't like the show, you can go fuck yourself. So... Here's where we are in the world, folks. Um, first of all, well, I want to start this way. I actually, I made a couple of notes about things I might want to talk, talk about on this podcast, but um, I, went with a hike, I went on a hike with my girlfriend yesterday, and we were talking a lot about the state of the world and everything that's going on, and I had a moment with her. I guess we were kind of joking about this over the dinner table um, sometime over the weekend. But I was sort of ranting on and on, I think about like synthesizers or or something. And I was talking about, you know, I totally understand people who have, you know, I call it gear acquisition syndrome, which is, you know, as a musician, you sort of fetishize gear and you spend a lot of time looking online at gear. And um, for me, I don't know if I've mentioned it on the podcast, but something I've gotten into um I think as my girlfriend's been here for the last few weeks, I haven't been able to set up my drum stuff. So I actually have not been doing a lot of drumming in the last couple of weeks, which has basically been, you know, because I haven't picked up my guitar and sang and, you know, really all of this year, honestly, um, uh, you know, my creative focus has been drumming, frankly. Um, but because I haven't been able to do that for the last couple of weeks, really, I've spent a lot of time with synthesizers and uh, software synthesizers, and I went back to this program that I started working through a couple years ago called Centorial, and it's a really cool piece of software. It's not cheap. It's, you know, I think with a student discount, it's cheaper, but I think the retail price is like $149 or something like that. But I started working through this software called Centorial, and it basically teaches you about synthesizers. It has, it, it has its own software synth, and it basically goes through steps teaching you about oscillators and um, uh, wave types. And uh, you have these lessons where it introduces you to a part of the synthesizer, and it deletes all the other elements. And then you have a challenge where it basically plays samples for you, and you have to dial in um, the sound. You have to replicate the sound. So it's a very engaging way of learning about synthesizers. It's you know you're not you're not going to be overwhelmed by the individual components, and it really plays to things that I like. You know I sort of approach things academically anyway, and so to have this sort of curriculum of synthesizer education sort of plays to my interests. Um, anyway, so that's that. You know they don't pay me to say that shit. That's just something that I've used, and I actually think the guy who does our music uh, for the podcast, Rich Reeland a.k.a. Disaster Piece. I think he turned me on to that years ago. Um, But it's something I've spent a lot of time with over the last two weeks. And I was talking about, you know, a side effect of that is I've spent more time than I'd like on YouTube looking at synthesizer videos. And I already feel, even as I have this sort of general interest in, in synthesizers now, I see myself thinking, oh, what piece of gear can I buy, right? And I was just sort of like talking at my girlfriend about this and saying, you know, the type of gear that people are into really says a lot about them. And, you know, you look at these synthesizers and they're so loaded with features. And it's like the way this stuff's marketed to people is it's like, oh, look at all the features this had. The possibilities of this synthesizer are endless. And when you look at the comments, you see all these people debating the minutia about these synthesizers. And, um, you know, it's one thing when, when you hear someone talking about this and you really get the sense that they know what they're talking about. But a lot of it is you just feel like people are abandoning back and forth selling points from the uh, manufacturers from their websites about why one synth is better than the other and it's not really based on actual experience. But I was saying for me, especially as an adult, what I enjoy is the lack of options, right? Like I, I like working within a finite system. And I think as an artist especially, um, you're better served by having something that has few features. It has relatively few features, but it does them very well. And instead of, you know, sitting in front of a piece of kit that says, anything you can think of, this thing can do, 
you're much better served by just having something that has some parameters, right? And taking options off the table. Because otherwise, especially as a newcomer to something, you're just uh, overwhelmed by choices. And if you're like me, a lot of things just don't get done. So I forget who, I forget what the quote is, but it's something like, you know, start now, use what you have and do the best you can or something like that. And, you know, I'm not saying I have that mastered, but it's something that I've, uh, especially in my adult life, I've tried to, uh, I've tried to um, adhere to. And so I was like talking with my girlfriend about this and I was going on for like 25 or 30 minutes. And I, at the end of it, I just said, God, you, God, you poor girl, you have, you're just stuck with me talking at you all the time. And I was using the comparison. It's like when you have a podcast or something, people who like your podcast, I'm not pretending to know what you guys think, but if you're like me, there's plenty of times where I'm watching a podcast or I, you know, I fall into something that I really enjoy and I think, wow, it'd be really cool to hang out with that person and just talk with them. Meanwhile, the people who are actually in that person's life are fucking sick of them. Like she and I were laying in bed and I was like pulling up these Don Rickles videos, who I think is fucking hilarious. I know he's not very uh, PC by, today, by today's standards, but if you ever look up Don Rickles' old roast videos, he's just, he, I watch his videos, his Tonight Show appearances, his, um, his times on the Johnny Carson show, his times at the, the Friars roast, like it just, that shit makes me crack the fuck up. And, uh, but I was saying if you were married to him, like, you would want to go over to Don Rickles' house and have dinner, and he'd probably roast you and make you laugh, and you'd think that was a fucking, the, the best night you've ever had in your life. But his wife probably sees the same routine over and over again. You know, like, every new couple that comes over, he just fucking slays everybody, and his wife's seen this show, like, a thousand times. Um, but, uh, where am I going with all that? Uh, I think I was just saying, yeah, I had a conversation like that with my girlfriend, um... We've been, yeah, I don't know. Dude, who the fuck knows what I'm talking about? I think uh, this is a roundabout way of me getting to this idea, which is I was talking about it with my girlfriend. And I I mean, I've talked about it in therapy. I've talked about it with my girlfriend. But I was especially thinking about it in light of our last episode. Um, But with everything that's going on, because it's something I want to continue talking about and I want to share my feelings about it. And I want to, um, there's a part of me that feels like I'm preemptively apologizing for things I might say, but one thing I really want to do with this podcast, and I respect from people in general, is people who, you know, whether or not what they're saying is politically correct, or whether or not what they're saying, you know, is um, taboo, you know, and I'm not saying that anything I do is particularly that, but For me, I like people who just tell the truth. And I'm not talking about, you know, oh, I tell it like it is. Um, There's plenty of things you may say that are, um, uh, I don't know, contrary to the popular culture, or they may be shocking that are are brainless and dumb also. Um, But what I really want this space to be for me is a space that I can just sort of say how I'm really feeling. And um, and, um, I, I want that to be okay. Um, I think one of the things I was feeling after the last episode is I was kind of sharing my frustration with a lot of the people, not everybody, but a lot of the people who are expressing their support right now for the Black Lives Matter, uh, Black Lives Matter movement. And, um, I mean, you guys are living in the same, you guys are steeped in the, in the same tea I am right now. So you guys know what's going on. Um, but I've expressed it in therapy, this idea that, you know, I, I genuinely believe, you know, I'm not sure if it comes across in the conversations I have here, but I genuinely believe that I do support the Black Lives Matter movement. I genuinely believe that, um, you know, my heart is in the right place. And I definitely believe that I want to see the types of changes in the world that other people want to see also. At the same time, I can't ignore the fact that there is something about the way this thing is playing out in the public discourse that bothers the fuck out of me. You know, and I'm not confused why when I see everyone posting black squares, it bothers me. I I genuinely believe that that is a bullshit performative form of protest. That means nothing. I think it does nothing. And I think the reason it takes off at exactly the time it does is for a lot of the things that I'm wrestling with. I want to participate, and yet there is something that keeps me from just echoing the same hollow sentiments as everybody else. You know, I, I genuinely believe that your, you know, heartfelt post about your support of Black Lives Matter, especially as a white person, means absolutely nothing. 
um, you know, people want to say like every voice counts and blah, yada, yada, yada. And I understand, look, if, all, if, if, if nobody voiced their support, you're right. We would be in, and we would be in for, we, uh, the world would be in a much shittier place, right? Like, you know, maybe I'm trying to say something like, you know, don't get it twisted. Your single vote doesn't fucking matter. Now, of course, if that was, if that philosophy was adopted in mass, that would have a profound effect. But there's something about, you know, there's something, and maybe this is a social media thing, but, you know, there's something about the way this thing is playing out in front of my eyes on social media, especially, that I think is a lot of performative bullshit. Um, and I want to talk about that. Um, not because you agree with me. There may be plenty of people who profoundly disagree with that statement, right? But um, I'm less concerned. Maybe this is it. I think so many people, I think there's a certain type of support for this movement that I think is equally brainless as um, the objections I hear to it. Um, I I don't want to call anyone out, but this also gets at something that I I, I kind of want to address also. But um, my girlfriend, uh, my girlfriend's family is Vietnamese. And despite being immigrants to this country, they're very conservative. And I think that that's true of a lot of uh, people who immigrate to this country. Their first generation children are usually very progressive and liberal, but their parents are conservative. And I'm not going to go into why I think that is. Um, it's just something interesting to note. But something me and my girlfriend are both dealing with is our, the relative conservatism, conservative, conservatism of our parents. And a part of her way of interacting with this whole movement has been trying to, uh, you know, not on pain of death or, or, or being ostracized, but trying to educate her family about why she feels this is an important movement, why uh, they need to sort of sit and sort of observe their own reluctance to support the movement. Um, and my, my, my father happened to send a particularly brainless uh, YouTube video to me, which was one of these sort of uh, conservative YouTube pundits, right? And it was this sort of screed or something, if that's a word. It was this, you know, these sort of one one man, one woman monologues that people do on YouTube, um, um, which was from a conser- a, a woman, a, a, white, a white blonde woman on the conservative right who was talking about how Black Lives Matter is bullshit and all that sort of stuff. And... Um, you know, so I think what I'm trying to say is that is fucking brainless, right? And yet there's a certain level of support for the movement that I find equally brainless. And I know I should say, well, their heart's in the right place. Who gives a shit? But first, I don't know. I don't know why, but I can't. Um, but uh, yeah, I want this to be a place for me where, where I can share how I really feel. And And again, not because you agree with me, but because... Whether or not you agree with me, I think people who like this podcast will be like me in the sense that whether or not I agree with you, I want to listen to and have respect for people that I believe. You know, I'm not interested in finding, uh, you know, I'm not interested in finding outlets and things that just sort of tell me what I already believe. That's not fulfilling for me. I sort of like a little tension and a little dissonance um, as long as it's heartfelt you know, when I watch this YouTube video that my dad sent me, you just get this sense that this person is smug and self-satisfied and they're, they're speaking sarcastically and um, it, it just, it does nothing for me, you know? And the fact that I think that they're also profoundly wrong is very, it just gets under my skin, right? I, it's like you just want to punch someone in the face. You just, they're so smug and self-satisfied and they're saying like, you know, um, uh, they were doing this sort of bullshit comparison of like, you know, white on black violence. With their, last year, there were 60,000 cases of white on black violence. And while at the same time, there were 400,000 cases of black on black crime. And why don't people want to address that thing? And you're just like, Jesus fucking Christ, man. <clears throat> so, uh, I doubt, so I guess what I'm saying is, is I worry because, because I have any criticism at all of the way this thing is playing out. Uh, believe me, I see what happens to other people who are genuinely good people. They make one misstep and all of a sudden it's cancel, cult- cancel culture all over their ass, right? People get fucking excoriated. So I do get concerned. Not because I, you know, not because I want to pander to those people. Those people can go fuck themselves. Um, 
But it is hard when you're trying to explore something with some level of nuance that you don't really think is, you know, ubiquitous on social media. There is this fear of being misunderstood or being lumped in with a group of people that you genuinely don't identify with. And, um, and, uh, yeah, so I don't know. I wanted to start this by kind of coming clean. And, um, one, I wanted to say explicitly that I do support, you know, the movement, at least as it's playing out now for Black Lives Matter. Now, I don't want to be a part of any club that would have me as a member. That whole, um, is it Groucho Marx or Mark Twain or something like that? But, the, you know, I, I genuinely don't. I don't want to affiliate myself with fucking anybody. But right now, especially as things are playing out, I mean, I do want to see changes. I do want to see reform. Um, but, you know, I hesitate getting behind phrases that I think are kind of mindless, uh, that need heavy qualifications. Like defund the police. That's one that's going around now that I just, uh, you know, I'm not saying everybody sees it as this sort of, you know, I think it is nuanced for many people, but I also think for most people, it's not very nuanced. I mean, people genuinely just want to see the system dismantled at the system as it exists dismantled. And, uh, I'm not sure I'm for all that, but, um, but uh, if you want to talk about real re- reallocating funds that typically go to the police, actually, I was talking about this with my girlfriend. She had a great point. She said, you know, even defunding the police is sort of not a great idea because what's actually needed might even be more funds for reeducation. And I thought, oh, shit. Damn, boo. So smart. She's a smart cookie. Anyway, I don't know. I thought this, uh, I thought this was going to be kind of a clear episode, but I can already feel my mind sort of... Uh, flying in figure eights, uh, inside my head. But, um, I think I wanted to state, state explicitly that I do support the movement right now. It's just, you know, I have qualifications and uh, not that anyone particularly cares about my opinion, but, um, you know, I feel like with all this stuff, there's a certain level of nuance and there's a certain, you know, as, as a person who I genuinely think I'm a critical thinker. And when, I feel what, you know, what I feel like are my valid criticisms sometimes of the movement or the way people, um, uh, demonstrate their opinions. Uh, when I feel like I'm excoriated for that, it makes me feel like the people who are standing across from me saying that I'm wrong or that my doubts or my, um, my skepticism is somehow an extension of my moral failing. That makes me think that they're stupid. Um, anyway, even as I talk about it now, I feel like it's such a sensitive subject. I both, it's hard to want to talk about something and also feel like every word you're saying about it is going to be dissected. So, I don't know. I think I was thinking about what is this podcast to me? One, we don't have a huge audience. I mean, I know there's a, there's a, there's a fair amount of us. I mean, for, at least for what I thought when I started this thing, there's a fair amount of people who listen to this regularly. And, um, so there are P and I, and I see the numbers. I see people crawling through the episodes. I see people finding it and starting it at episode zero and working their way through. Um, and there was a part of me, you know, I used to do this thing called one second every day. It's this app on your phone where you go around and you shoot video throughout the day, but, um, you select one second of all the video you shot that day and it puts it in this app and then at the end of the year or the month or whatever, you know, period of time you want it smashes the seconds together into a video. And it's just a very cool artifact or document of your, uh, for me, it was like for a year at a time. You have these 365 seconds of each day smashed together. And it's not that any one in particular is interesting, but when you take it as a whole, it's just an interesting document of that time period, you know? And uh, I haven't been doing that. I think last year, not even this most recent New Year, but the New Year before that, my New Year's resolution was to, to, to pick it up again and be very consistent because I did it very consistently for about three or four years. And then I stopped for like two. And uh, last year I told myself I was going to get back into it. And I think I did a great job at the first like seven or eight months out of the year. And then at the end of the year, I totally fucking dropped the ball. And then this year I fucking haven't done it at all. And I was disappointed because this happens to be probably one of the, you know, in my life, at least historically, maybe not personally, but historically will be one of the most interesting years 
uh, that many of us will have lived through with the pandemic, with Black Lives Matter, with the presidency of Donald Trump, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, this is a momentous period of history. And I felt bad that I wasn't documenting it, documenting it in this way. But I had forgotten about the podcast. And as I was walking with my girlfriend, kind of talking about all these issues and my feelings about it, you know, one criticism that people sort of lob against people who, I mean, definitely on the far right, right, who are completely opposed to the movement. These are not people I align myself with. But a lot of people say, choose what side you're on. You know, be on the right side of history. And I get that. I'm not saying that's a bad thing to say. I, I genuinely feel like I understand that. I, I get it. None of us want to look back on the on, on the history books or that old black and white footage and be one of the people with the fucking Nazi salute, right? I mean, I think even being at a Trump rally now, I mean, people are going to look back on that on that footage and just be like, Jesus Christ, is that my grandfather on the front row with a Make America Great Again hat? Like that? I don't think that's going to age well. Um, so there's a part of me that looks at this podcast as a document of what I think and what I believe. And I was saying I am scared how it's going to age. I mean, I am scared that, um, you know, not that the world at large will care, but I'm sure this will be archived for myself at least somewhere. And if my kids ever went through and listened to it, if they listen to this part of the podcast in this period of history, what are they going to think? Are they going to cringe and think, holy shit? My dad was the equivalent of like a Nazi sympathizer or something like that because I had any criticism of the stuff that was going on. (sighs) And that makes me insecure. I'm not saying it convinces me. I'm just saying it makes me insecure. Um, So yeah, I don't know. I just, I I feel acutely, especially since the last episode and especially thinking about how I'm going to use this platform moving forward is I want to be honest. First and foremost, I want to be honest, but I also, um, I want to be, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. You know, honestly, I don't know. All I know is I want to be honest outside of that. I don't know. And I think I'm just concerned because sometimes I feel like me being honest, whether it's right or wrong, I'm concerned about the consequences, either the immediate consequences, but also just in history. Um, you know, I'm not saying it changes my changes my stance on anything. I mean, I've listened back to the podcast from last week. There's nothing I said there that I don't feel anymore. There's nothing I said that I disagree with. You know, after I recorded it, I was kind of concerned and I went back and listened to it and I was actually relieved to hear, oh, no, I actually do believe those things. <laughs> um, that may change over time, but um, that's genuinely how I feel right now. Um, and at least so far, I feel like everything I've said right now is, is stuff that I believe too. Um, but yeah, it, it feels like a volatile situation, right? You know, there's this great pressure to, quote, be on the right side of history. And, um, and yeah, I don't know what it is. I, I really, uh, I feel like I'm at a loss because, uh, yeah, on the one hand, I, I, I want to, you know, I want to be in support of everything that's taking place. And yet I, I don't know where to fit in. And I, and honestly, I think a lot of it has to do with not knowing how to contribute. I mean, I think we talked about this at the end of the last episode, which is, you know, I'm not saying it's fair, but if just, this is really how I feel. I mean, as someone who spends 32 hours a week working on a crisis line, um, you know, I mentioned the shooting at my girlfriend's apartment. I mean, that, that really affected her over the last couple of weeks and, um, she's getting some additional support now. And, uh, I have no doubt that, um, um, you know, she's starting to feel a little bit better about the situation, but you know, I spent a lot of the last two weeks kind of supporting her, you know, at the same time, you know, I'm going to school full time. And so, you know, I really feel, I mean, if I'm being honest, I feel, I feel a little oversaturated with everything. And, um, and so it's been hard. I both want to contribute. I also don't feel like I have really the energy to do it. Um, I'm definitely not going to go out and hit the streets with the protesters and catch coronavirus because uh, that seems uh, pretty reckless. But outside of that, I'm not really sure what 
to do because I don't think just uh, bloviating on Facebook and social media does a damn thing. <sighs> you know, and honestly, I got to say, I'm really proud of my brother. Um, I want to be, you know, I don't want to like place him in any one place geographically, but my brother lives in another part of the country and uh, he's a big soccer fan, big football fan. And uh, he supports a club in a city that he lives in, which is, uh, you know, compared to other parts of the country, especially California, it's a very segregated, conservative community. And I think it's a great city. Uh, I spent some time there. And even by myself, I was house-sitting for uh, him and his now wife and their dog, who I fucking love. And uh, I thought, man, this place is really, they really got it going on, man. You would think this would be a super shitty town, but it's awesome. The downtown area is great, et cetera, et cetera. Um, when my brother and his wife came back into town, we went to a sports game for this football club that they support. And it was just like, man, this is great. I could totally see how you can enjoy living here. However, it's a very conservative uh, area. And when this whole Black Lives Matter thing kicked off, uh, like every brand, which uh, I have my own complaints about it also, but you know, people are releasing their statements of support um, for for Black Lives Matter, ostensibly. Um. This organization released a letter that was not very explicit in their support. They acknowledged the time period, um, and, I, and honestly, I didn't see the letter myself, but I'm sure it, it said something to the extent of, you know, um, we are against racism, we're against yada, 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 but they did not state explicitly they were in support of Black Lives Matter. Um, it was sort of a, um, kind of a milquetoast letter of support. Uh, from what it sounded like. And uh, this didn't really sit well with my brother and his wife, who have been really affected by the events that have taken place. And they've really made an effort to, you know, read books and educate themselves and and kind of reevaluate their stance on a lot of issues. And so my brother basically called uh, called their office. You know, they've been longtime supporters of the, of the club. Um, they're associated with different fan organizations, et cetera. They're active connecting and communicating on their social media platform, with this organization and uh, spoke with the president's secretary and even scheduled some time to speak with the president about their concerns about this. And um, not in a combative way, but you know, my brother's a really smart guy and uh, basically just wanted to state their case that, you know, they have a new stadium that's being built in a, you know, um, area, a predominantly black area of town and the construction had displaced a lot of people and even though they uh, were making this uh, community care package, I think is what you want to call it, to sort of offset some of the impact that they would have on the area, you know, they really needed, especially given their location uh, and sort of the PR hit they've already taken by affecting this community, they really needed to do something to demonstrate their support for the movement. And uh, if they didn't, you know, as a consequence, my brother and his wife would have to sort of withdraw their support from the club. And not that that would uh, dismantle the system by them stepping away, but that was their way that they felt that they could uh, voice their concerns, have an impact, and um, and do what they could. And uh, I, you know, and of course, things played out, and you know, he eventually spoke with this person. He had contacted some other uh, fan organizations, and I still think he's looking for ways to contribute. But when I was finally able to talk to my brother about it, I was just really proud of him. You know, and I think there was a part of me that was even a little jealous because, I mean, he checked in with me also after the last episode and, and, and I think he sort of, I don't think he had heard the end of the podcast episode, uh, the the end of the episode yet, but I think he was hoping to hear me get to a place that I, I think we did get at the end of the last episode, which was, I know people are full of shit. I know there's a lot of people online who are, they, you know, they have this sort of performative form of protest and allyship and all that sort of stuff. But you can't really let that um, discourage you from doing the right thing, especially right now when things really need to change and something needs to be done. And, um, you know, that's, it's hard to hear sometimes. You know, someone's kind of calling you out. Um you know, not in a combative way as like a loving brother, but someone's sort of, you know, still, you know, they're encouraging you to do the right thing. And, um, I think it was hard to hear given how I was actually feeling at that time, which is I felt tapped out, you know, with what, you know, helping to support my girlfriend, helping support people on the crisis lines, um, going to school and, um, just feeling, 
you know, not, and, and, and maybe even worse about it because I know people are going through a lot more than I am, but still feeling like I was kind of tapped out. Um, and frankly, kind of wanting some support myself, you know, and, um, but still, I think it, it definitely poked at an insecurity I have felt over the last couple of weeks, which is how can I contribute? Um, I mean, I smoked with my, th- I don't think it came up in the last episode, but I was speaking to my therapist about this and, and she was saying, uh, you know, especially from home, there are plenty of things that people can do now to contribute. And maybe it's not hitting the streets and supporting Black Lives Matter, but she turned me on to um, Vote Forward. I think it's what it's called. Um, Vote Forward and this other organization, Swing Left. They sort of work in tandem. And what you can do is you can register with Vote Forward and you basically adopt these voters and they have different campaigns that are targeted at different parts of the country. And you can adopt you know, five to 20 voters at a time and you're given their name and address and this sort of, um, this sort of, uh, template letter that you print out and it has these areas that you can personalize where you can write in your own sort of statement. And, And basically what you do is you send these letters out encouraging people to vote and you don't encourage them who to vote, vote for. My sense is that these letters are targeted at people who will like, who are prone to vote left, but may not vote in the upcoming election. Maybe they historically have not. Maybe they are registered voters who haven't exercised uh, their right to vote. But basically, the, the idea is, and I think studies have shown that these types of letters do encourage a percentage of people to to get out and vote, and especially if those are left leaning voters. And you know, it's likely that the next election will be very close that this could have an impact on the way the election goes. And um, I have no qualms with saying that I think part of what will turn this country around and get us going in a direction that's better for everybody is getting Donald Trump out of office. So, you know, I'm not pretending that it's, you know, the most, uh, you know, it's not the wokest thing you can do right now, but in terms of what I feel like I have the capacity for and something that feels doable and sustainable, not just for the the next week. You know, it's not one social media post. But, you know, if you do 20 letters a week until October 27th, which is one week before the election, when all the letters are supposed to get sent out, you could do like 400 letters. You know, and that feels like something that I could do. And that feels like something that may have a tangible impact. And so I think I bring it up, not just to sort of tick that box, because part of me does feel guilty, like I have to tell you guys who are listening, like, hey, I know I complain, I know I bitch and moan, but I also feel the need to do something, and at least for now, this feels like something that I can do. And maybe there's more I can do also, and I'll, I'll, you know, I'm keeping my head on a swivel for those opportunities. But for you, you know, if you're looking for a way that you can contribute, if you're not feeling like there's one group that you can align yourself with... I think this is the type of thing that I think people could gravitate toward. And, you know, I know I can do it. Just go to vote forward and register. And it's a very intuitive process. All you have to do is print off the letters, you know, personalize parts of them. You're supposed to be able to do 20 in an hour. And sometimes people, they do like these sort of uh, letter writing uh, parties over Zoom or something like that. So, um, I would not be against that. If this, if this is the type of thing that you want to get in, uh, you think you could, you could get into, um, I'd be down. I'd be down to hook up with a couple people on Zoom and, and do this letter writing thing together. Um, yeah, dude, I don't, what, I'm like burning the fuck up right now, man. It's actually been cooler here in the Bay Area the last week or so than it was before, but for some reason... <laughs> I'm actually unbuttoning my pants a little bit. It is fucking hot as fuck in here right now. Oh, maybe it's something about the uh, topic of conversation. But anyway, did I do my part? Did I apologize appropriately? Not that I really feel like I have anything to apologize for, but I guess I do feel the need to say, look, I'm going to continue criticizing you motherfuckers. All you performative fucks on social media with your black squares and your blowhard... Uh, uh, social media posts about people who need to do X, Y, and Z. I mean, it's a played out term, but I think it's actually, it's perfect. All you virtue, virtue signaling motherfuckers. I'm still going to skewer you, but if I'm going to do that, I have to do something. All, I have to do something in the right direction also. So that's my plan for the time being. And if you have other ways that you think I can contribute, you can let me know those too. 
we got an email address here at the podcast. It's thisismpod at gmail.com. You can also email me and tell me to go fuck myself, too. That's fine. You know, if you say something, you know, particularly excoriating, you know, I might read it on the podcast, so be warned. If you email me, I assume you're giving me permission to read it on the podcast. But if you have something nice to say or something bad to say, I'm not against criticism. You're welcome to email me. Um, and it's funny. I told you I made a list of things to get to on the podcast. And now that I'm looking at it, it's like, I just don't even want to fucking go into it. I will say though, everybody is losing their goddamn fucking minds. Uh, I don't know what happened over the last couple of weeks, but especially in the last two weeks, I have felt like everybody is getting back to life as normal. And here's the th- look, I'm not calibrated to freak out. I'm not a catastrophic type person. You know, I don't catastrophize situations. I, even prior to shelter in place, when it comes to like, I was, I'm not a germaphobe. I'm not one of these people who walks around with Purell. I'm down to take risks. I assume everything's going to be okay. And yet when this coronavirus shit hit, you know, whatever my calibration is, it was like, stay the fuck inside. Only go to the grocery store if you have to and wear your fucking face mask. And all you idiots who are out there saying it's a government conspiracy, uh, you guys are fucking nuts. And I don't know what the fuck happened because I didn't get the all clear. As soon as the protests hit, I was like, oh, corona cases are going to fucking soar right now. And they are on the rise. And yet in the last two weeks, people are talking about opening up. I see people going around with no masks now, like everything's okay. And I'm like, what information do you guys have access to that I don't? Because my girlfriend and I went on a hike two weeks ago, and I swear to God, I saw more people out on the trail than I had in months. And 85% of the people out there were not wearing face masks. And I was kind of incredulous. Because my thought is, I, I get it. I'm wearing a face mask. It doesn't, it's not necessarily going to keep me safe unless they are. And so all these people walking around completely comfortable without face masks, I just want to tell them, you're welcome. You know, I've heard people say, well, I haven't worn a face mask this whole time and I'm not getting sick. It's like, well, you're benefiting from the people who are wearing a face mask. You know, the face mask is to protect other people from you. You know, so yeah, you could conceivably go throughout this whole time without wearing a face mask. And as long as, as, long as an, enough other people are, you will be safe. You're welcome. But it was just insane to me to see all these people and mostly families, families with children who were not wearing face masks. And I just looked at my girlfriend because, you know, you know, I'll pull it down if there's no one around. But the minute I see someone turn the corner or we're about to cross somebody on the trail, I put my mask up. And the number of couples, number of parents with children that did not have face masks, masks at all was the majority. It was probably 80 to 85% of people. And I just looked at my girlfriend and said, what news are these guys getting that we're not? Um, and literally, we were at this part in the hike. We were kind of coming toward the end of it. And we had sort of left the, you know, the, the back roads, the unpaved nature trail part of things. And as you're sort of approaching the parking lot again it becomes paved for a short while and we're turning this bend and I see these two older women who are kind of stopped and standing at the side of the trail who are wearing face masks. And the reason they've stopped is because about 30 feet ahead of us were two families who were clearly on some kind of social distance hike. Um, You know, they had arrived together and were going to be hiking together, but none of them were wearing face masks. They were sort of standing at a distance from each other on both sides Uh, of the trail, and yet none of them were wearing masks. And anyone coming down the trail was going to have to walk between them. And I could just sort of sense that these two women were sort of standing off to the side thinking, oh, Jesus Christ, we have to navigate this? What the fuck's wrong with these people? And so they're stopped, and me and my girlfriend just sort of go through it, because we've been dealing with this the whole trail, right? Yeah. Uh, I've just seen 85% of the people I see aren't wearing face masks, masks, but what am I going to do? I'm not just going to dive into a bush every time someone walks by. I just walk by them like a normal human being, and I don't shame them. I don't yell at them. I just think in my head, oh, well, that sucks. But we walk through the families. We probably get about, I don't know, we probably get like uh, 50 feet away from them. And all of a sudden, we just hear yelling and screaming behind us. And we hear two women just yelling at each other. And I hear one woman yelling the loudest, Get your facts straight, lady! Get your facts straight, lady! 
And you can just tell that this one, these two women who were not happy about it clearly said something to these families, and one of the other women just went fucking off on them. And my girlfriend was like, why are people so upset? And I was like, first of all, if you walk by someone and snidely say something like, well, I guess, I guess you don't care about your kids not wearing a face mask or something like that, you know, people are going to get fucking lit because you shamed them, not only in front of their own family, but this this family of company that they have also, or anybody in earshot. And things are so tense right now anyway. If you were to, you know, we all sort of lump people into categories, right? There's the people who do wear face masks, who consider themselves, and believe, I'm speaking from experience, you consider yourself thoughtful, you consider yourself informed, you feel like you're exercising a certain level of caution. And then you see the people who don't wear face masks, especially the people who are like, you see these crazy people in Walmart who are like yelling at people, telling them they're sheeple and it's a government conspiracy. And and you think, oh, that person's irresponsible. That person's uneducated. That person's pretty, pretty careless. So you see someone engaging in these polarized behaviors that we have right now, right? You either support BLM or you don't. You either wear a face mask or you don't. And whatever you do, you're indicative of an entire population of idiots who believe things who, who see the world just the way you do right so when you, so when this woman sees a family that's not wearing face masks she sees that you know she gives them she makes them pay for the experience of everybody that she's seen not wearing a face mask right and whatever worldview led to this woman not wearing a face mask when when someone someone sort of someone like makes a snide remark at her she just fucking goes off on her right and makes everybody pay But I was just like embarrassed for both of them. I was like, holy crap. I think that's why I don't say anything in public. It's like, because you know what you're going to get. I mean, I was saying to my girlfriend, we went for a hike uh, yesterday as well. And even though we saw more people wearing face masks, we still saw a fair amount of people not wearing them. And I was sort of recalling this incident that we both witnessed where the people were yelling at each other. And I said, I wonder if there's a way that you could actually engage somebody, you know, where you could actually ask them, what is in you know what is their reason for not wearing a face mask and have it not be confrontational i'm not saying it would be a perfect interaction but i think it would have to go something like cuz we we saw this young couple kind of hip cool couple and they had a dog with them um and after i walked by them i was just thinking about this and i said to my girlfriend I, you know i bet you could say something like you could probably stop people and say something like well first of all i think it would you would have to ask their permission to engage on this topic right and I think you'd have to say something like, oh, excuse me, you know, I, 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 I'm not going to shame you about it, I promise. I'm, I'm just genuinely curious. But would you mind if I ask you a question about why you're not wearing a face mask? And if you would have to sort of gauge their reaction, but you might have to reassure them. You say, look, look, I really, really and truly, I'm not going to make you feel bad. I'm just curious because, you know, we both are wearing a face mask because we were still under the assumption that, you know, it was pretty risky not to now. Are, do you, are you guys you know, do you guys have information that we don't have? Or I'm noticing this trend that let fewer and fewer people are wearing face masks. And I was just curious, curious what was going on with that. And again, I'm not saying it would be a perfect conversation, but I bet if you framed it in a way that you could be like, oh, you might actually have some information that I don't have that could be useful for me. I bet you would get something like, yeah, I don't know. We're just, we're not as concerned about it. You know, we just don't think it's that big of a deal. And and I bet they would say, well, you know, I mean, you can wear a face mask if you want to, but just for us, it's like, we feel like, you know, we've been doing this for a long time and we feel okay. So I don't know. Or maybe we're lazy or people, people are kind of self-deprecating this. Well, we've never had face masks or whatever, whatever the whole thing is. But it's like when you come at people with a certain way, you have to expect a reaction, you know? It's like if you try to instigate a fight, be prepared for a fight. <clears throat> you kind of got to politic people when it comes to this stuff, I guess. You know, my poor girlfriend, you know, she had this traumatic incident where these people were shot outside of her, apart her, her apartment door the other week. She's been spending the night with me for the last few nights. Um, you know, either she'll spend the night here or I'll spend the night with her at her place. Um, it's only this week, last couple of nights, she's been staying there by herself, just kind of, you know, trying to push through this thing. But I think in the middle of last week, we were both spending the night at her apartment. And at one point she had gone upstairs to, to sort of do laundry. I was in the kitchen, like washing the dishes. And all of a sudden we hear these people yelling outside of her window. And I was just thinking, oh God, I hope Boo doesn't hear this. 
because I know it would be really triggering for her, but someone just starts yelling and screaming at somebody, you're smoking a goddamn cigarette outside my window, you motherfucker, you inconsiderate motherfucker, you what the fuck is yelling and screaming at the top of her lungs, and you hear this poor person who they're yelling at, trying to reason with them, not, you know, just saying, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. let me just say one thing, and the person's like, no, 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 fuck you, motherfucker. And this was just going on for like five minutes until other people in the other apartment start yelling and screaming down at these people, shut the fuck up, shut the fuck up. And I just like hear my girlfriend like run down the stairs, and she's like kind of like shaking, because she's like fucking triggered, like wondering what the fuck's going on. You know, she just had this super violent thing happen in her apartment the other week, and now everyone's yelling at like, in neighboring buildings are fucking yelling and screaming at each other. And I was just like, God damn, dude, everybody's losing their goddamn minds. And I got friends on Facebook now, just on the right and the left, who just completely like fucking deleted their brains and are just losing their goddamn minds. You know, I got one guy who's a former music friend of mine who for whatever reason has left I don't know, there's a phrase they're using now, like, like you know, they left the left, or they abandoned the left, or they went over to the right side, or whatever the fuck it is. Like, they were so surprised at how brainless the, the Democratic left has become that now they're on the right side. And he's just sharing all this fucking political propaganda from the right wing, and I got another friend who's on the left who's fucking, it's just like, I don't know, man. I should sympathize as a dude who speaks an hour a week and just sort of spills their own guts about how they're feeling about everything politically. <sighs> At least there's a barrier to entry, right? Like you got to, you have to click play on this shit, man. You got to click download or you got to click subscribe. Like, a, you know, that's why I have no sympathy for people who fucking like want to criticize the podcast. It's like, Hey man, you don't have to fucking be here. You know, I don't know. There's something about Facebook where you're sort of voicing your opinion in people's face. I don't know, man. I don't know. I'm trying to talk and not hit these bullet points that I have in front of me that I wrote down. One of them was about J.K. Rowling. My buddy Matt, you know Matt, our MVP, he sent me this article. Um, Do you guys know what's going on with J.K. Rowling? She's been like excoriated by the left for her supposedly anti-trans tweets and supporting people who are sort of anti-trans. I'm not sure that that's accurate. I mean, I've only, you know, I've only, you know, I only experienced this stuff superficially or at a distance anyway, but I'm not sure that I've ever seen J.K. Rowling do anything that I thought was, you know, um, particularly bad. But she wrote this really incredible piece that my friend Matt sent me. And, you know, as I read it, it's not that I agreed with every point that she said. Um, maybe I should try to pull it up so you guys can have the title. I bet if it, it's on her website, I bet if you just went to jkrowling.com, it'd probably be the most prominently featured thing on there her response to all the criticism she's gotten about her supposedly anti-trans stance. I mean, um, uh, who's the Harry Potter actor? He came out and wrote this whole thing piece. I remember that coming out. Uh, I think some other people who've been associated with uh, the Harry Potter movies have spoken out against J.K. Rowling. Um, But it was this really thoughtful, well-written response piece. And again, not that I agree with every point that she makes, but there was something about that writing that was really indicative of what I do respect, which is, I don't care whether or not I agree with you. I care whether I believe you or not. If I believe that what you're saying actually comes from you as a person, it's something you've actually thought about and something that you genuinely believe. Because I think most of what I see is people just sort of regurgitating the shit that they think or how they want to come across, you know? They're basically echoing someone else's opinion. They read some blog posts that they happen to agree with, and so they just sort of share it and write this in the Facebook heading, you know, if you've ever wanted to understand me, read this. It's like this sort of, you know, this stupid adolescent thing that people used to do where it's like, you would, you would, like when you were like 12 years old, you'd like make a mix CD for some girl you liked. And you'd be like, if you ever want to understand me, listen to the lyrics to this song. That's like what people do now with articles. They just like share them and go this seven things you need to know about being in a relationship with an introvert. It's like, go oh, fuck yourself, man. But anyway, you should find this J.K. Rowling thing because whether or not you agree with it, I read that and I go, there is somebody who believes what they're saying. You know, I respect that more than anything. I do happen to agree with some of what she said, though, which is her frustration with being a person who, you know, she's clearly very very intelligent by the way that she writes. And you think, you know, whether or not I agree with her, if J.K. Rowling comes down, you know, on an issue, it's because she's thought her way 
into that position. Do you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, a lot of the criticism that she, that she has faced, she feels is particularly brainless. And, um, yeah, it meant a lot to me. There's a quote I can't really pull up right now, but it's something like it would be her life. She knows that her life would be much easier if she just used the right hashtags and uh, used the right phrases and posted these things and then scooped up all the woke cookies and got celebrated by all the uh, social justice warriors, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, you know, there's a certain amount of brainlessness that comes along with it that, uh, that uh, she just can't see herself doing. And I respect that. <clears throat> I do. <laughs> the other thing I wrote down here, which I don't know how the f- I don't know why the fuck it matters, but Norman Mailer stabbing his wife. Dude, do you guys know who Norman Mailer is? I, I think his novel, his big novels. I think is it The Quick and the Dead or The Sound and the Fury? Actually, maybe that's Faulkner. What the fuck is his novel? I don't know. Norman Mailer though. I, I, there's this video of him with Gore Vidal on the Dick Cavett show, and a few things. Dick Cavett is confusingly bad. He's sort of like the Larry King of his generation, even though I think they were probably contemporaries also. But Dick Cavett is a is a is an awful interviewer. He's not particularly he doesn't ask very particularly intelligent questions. He's not particularly present in the interviews. He looks visibly visibly uncomfortable and sort of outwitted by most of the people that he sits across. And yet he has great interviewers and uh, great interviews, and people tend to say great things. One of them, which I actually, I've been meaning to come back to this and correct myself. I was fucking mortified when I listened back to the podcast, and I was talking about an Orson Welles interview with Dick Cavett, and I, I only referred to Orson Welles as George Orwell. So I'm listening back on this podcast, and I'm going, anyone listening to this would have no idea what the fuck I was talking about. I'm talking about Citizen Kane and George Orwell, and people would be like, what the fuck? I meant to say Orson Welles, but there are plenty of good Dick Cavett interviews, at least the personality that he's interviewing is, you know, um, it's just a different time period where people were just, I don't know, they seem smarter. Orson Welles is on there just sort of talking about film and he's witty and he's intelligent. He's well-spoken. I saw um, Dick Van Dyke talking about his alcoholism, which was just a phenomenal interview, especially for the time period. Somebody was just, I don't know, his stance was so modern on terms of addiction and substance abuse and that sort of stuff. Um, and because, of course, because you watch this stuff, YouTube just sort of like pushes more of the same at you. And so I saw this video, it was Norman Mailer uh, and Gore Vidal fighting on the Dick Cavett show. And I don't really give a shit about Norman Mailer, but Gore Vidal has always been an interesting author for me. I've only re- I've read um, two of his books, Myra Breckenridge, which is about a... Uh, I want to use my terms right here, but uh, I think they were different at the time the novel was written. But a transvestite um, teacher who like sexually assaults students or something. It's a fucking crazy novel. Um, but uh, And then there's a sequel too. There's Myra Breckenridge, and I can't remember what the sequel is called. I don't know. But anyway, I've read both those novels. But Gore Vidal has always just struck me as like a very intelligent person. And so Norman Mailer and Gore Vidal are having this fucking... Uh, they're duking it out on the Dick Cavett show. And Norman Mailer is a pompous ass. Like, you just think there's no fucking way that guy could be a literary celebrity today because every single word coming out of his mouth is fucking misogynistic and stupid. And it was sort of discouraging to see both that you know there are people just like Norman Mailer in the world today, but also they would be uh, on the fringes, right? Like, like, like that dude would have his own sort of alt-right... Uh, YouTube channel or something like that. The fact that this guy was a huge literary success and celebrated by people, it's just mind numbing. He's a, he's a, he's a true asshole and a true dunce. And he just mentions in passing Gorvidal's criticism. Uh, I guess Gorvidal had written this like think piece about how Norman Mailer is awful. Um, and in it, uh, Norman Mailer says, I, we all know that I stabbed my wife and I just went, what the fuck? And he mentions it like, yeah, there was one time I was drunk at a party. I looked it up on Wikipedia. Norman Miller stabbed his one of one of his six wives, maybe more. He stabbed her with a fucking penknife. They were at some party, went home, and he fucking stabbed her with a penknife. And I'm just like, dude, what the fuck? 
it was one of the crazier things I've I've just I I've never heard something so fucking crazy said so passively. So you guys got to look into that for me. I don't know, man, but Norman Mailer stabbed his wife apparently. Why he wasn't canceled, I have no fucking idea. Oh man. Oh, stretch it out. Stretch it on you motherfuckers. Oh. <clears throat> the other thing I was thinking about, I know we spent Sorry, I have to get some water here. One of the things we were talking about in the last one is I went on this whole rant about about my uh, my girlfriend's neighbors and how fucking inconsiderate they are. Sorry, I'm, I'm grabbing my phone here. On how fucking inconsiderate they are. And uh, I was talking about, I'm just incredulous when I go through life. And, you know, things that are just so obvious to me, like as someone who's hyper-conscious of the noise that they're making and the effect that they're having on other people, to a fault, I'm not just, you know, congratulating myself, I'm saying it is, it's also a fault to some extent. I'm incredulous of people who seem to be, who seem to be uh, completely unaware of the impact they're having on other people, especially adults, like these two adult females in the park yelling at each other, I'm just like, I'm embarrassed for them. One thing I witness on a consistent basis that I'm embarrassed for the people I see doing it are people who go to the grocery store and they have their sharp shopping cart and they don't fucking put it back. They just sort of abandon it by their car or they push it to some desolate area where nobody's parked and fucking leave it. And I just look at them and just follow them with my gaze back to their vehicle, hoping they look at me so that they can see the look of disappointment that I'm giving them and the, the look of incredulousness. Like who the fuck are you? Like, isn't part of being an adult just putting the fucking shopping cart away? And this is another one of those things. My poor girlfriend, she has to sit at the dinner table with me, me talking about synthesizers and the importance of restraint in creative, uh, you know, in, in being a creative person, the importance of restraint. I fucking yell at her all the time about shopping carts. And she just goes like, oh, Jesus Christ, not again. But my buddy Aaron Marsh, he's a comedian down in Los Angeles. We talked about him, especially in the first few episodes of the podcast. He has a great uh, podcast, by the way. Um, uh, putting up with Aaron Marsh. You can find it on uh, Apple Podcast. But he posted this thing to his Instagram story, and I'm kind of babbling here because I'm trying to pull it up on my phone at the same time. Um, he posted this great image on his Instagram story that goes into the shopping cart, and I thought it perfectly articulates how I feel about it, and I wanted to share it with you guys. Um, I think I have to go into my saved stuff here. Please tell me I have it. Um... Oh, you know what I did? I think I screenshotted it, actually. Hold on, let me find it. Yes, here we go. Okay. So this is called the shopping cart theory. I don't know where it originated, um, but uh, he posted it. Uh, Aaron Marsh. You can find him at A-A-R-O-N-M-M-A-R-S-H. Aaron Michael Marsh. Uh, again, that's at A-A-R-O-N-M-M-A-R-S-H on Instagram. This is called uh, the shopping cart theory. <clears throat> The shopping cart is the ultimate litmus test for whether a person is capable of self-governing. To return the shopping cart is an easy, convenient task and one which we all recognize as the correct, appropriate thing to do. To return the shopping cart is objectively right. There are no situations other than dire emergencies in which a person is not able to return their cart. Simultaneously, it is not illegal to abandon your shopping cart. Therefore, the shopping cart presents itself as the apex example of whether a person will do what is right without being forced to do it. No one will punish you for not returning the shopping cart. No one will fine you or kill you for not returning the shopping cart. You gain nothing by returning the shopping cart. You must return the shopping cart out of the goodness of your own heart. You must return the shopping cart because it is the right thing to do, because it is correct. A person who is unable to do this is no better than an animal, an absolute savage who can only be made to do what is right by threatening them with a law and the force that stands behind it. The shopping cart is what determines whether a person is a good or bad member of society. So here's the fucking rule, folks. In the same way on this podcast, we fucking live the pristine sneaker life. We don't give a fuck what people think. We live for comfort. We're going to wear the fucking khaki shorts with the braided belts and the fucking pristine sneakers and the polo shirts, the fucking lime green polo shirts with the fucking khaki shorts, the braided belts and the pristine fucking sneakers because we don't give a fuck what you hipsters think about us. You're looking at us like, fuck you, man. I'm wearing my fucking uh, undershave hair that swooped over my fucking my retro flock of seagulls bullshit haircut and I'm wearing the fucking crazy baggy clothes. Well, fuck you, hipster. 
We fucking rock pristine sneakers around this motherfucker. You know what else we do on this podcast? We return the fucking shopping cart because we're good folks. And if you can't do that, especially if you're an adult, if you can't be bothered to put the fucking shopping cart back, you can go fuck yourself. You got nothing to do with this podcast. You You got nothing to do with the people who listen to this podcast. You're less than a human being. You belong with everybody else who fucking plays their piano with the windows open and bothers the goddamn neighbors. Go fuck yourself. You're the same person who blasts their shitty-ass music, driving down the road with the windows down on the subwoofers, wanting everybody to look at you. You're like every other asshole who drives the fucking motorcycles with the baffles taken out. I mean, me and my girlfriend were walking to the fucking grocery store yesterday, and this guy's driving down this major street that she lives nearby, He's got the fucking motorcycle with the baffles out, and he's just going, and as he's driving down the street, every parked car with the car alarm starts going off, and this guy has a smug look on his his face like, fuck yeah. Motherfucker, you're bothering people. And if you're the type of person who goes to Trader Joe's, I don't care how far away you fucking parked. When you take the shopping cart out, you put the shit back. Because other people need it. Because guess what? You know what happens when you don't? The fucking dude who's getting paid nine ninety five an hour to fucking corral these things has to fucking go all the way in to the ends of the fucking parking lot and grab it for you. You know that happens. You know that that happens and you don't give a fuck. And I see the type of people who do it. It's the fucking Karens of the world. It's the, and by the way, I hate that phrase. But it's the same... You know, living here in the Bay Area, I see the same middle-aged white women with the fucking scars around their neck. They all look like they're private practice therapists or whatever. But the point is, (laughs) they all fucking look the same. They're the same people who showed up to the women's rally, and yet they're fucking so inconsiderate, they fucking leave their fucking shopping cart by their car. Fuck that shit. So here's the deal. If that's you, you can't listen to this podcast anymore. You have to unsubscribe. But if you want to fucking get with this podcast, if you want to live how we live, you put the fucking shopping cart back and you do it because it's the right thing. Especially if you park further away. You, next time you're standing at the parking lot and, and Trader Joe's is just a faint dot in the distance from where you parked, you're going to look at the distance you have to traverse to return the shopping cart and you're going to say, good, I'm going to burn some extra calories. This is the excuse I need to dive into those fucking peanut butter filled pretzels when I fucking get home. I'm going to return the shopping cart and I'm going to make that guy, the guy who's getting paid $9.95 an hour to corral these things, I'm going to make his life that much easier. And I can't force other few, other people to do it, but I'm going to do it. And you're, you know what else you're going to do? You're going to shame people who don't do it. You're not going to do what the lady on the hike did and fucking say something to people, but you're just going to look at them. And I want you to look at them with a little bit of kindness and a little bit of understanding but I want you to give him a look that says, hey, I see you. I don't judge you. But you and I both know one thing. You can do better. And I'm not saying they're going to do it, but you and I both know that they could. Oh, man. All right. Well, what can I say? I'm not Sojourner Truth, I'm not MLK. I'm not pretending like the words I have, the words I say have any impact, but, um, yeah. Who knows? We're trying to, we're trying to return to some kind of normalcy here on the podcast. Um, what do we learn here? I don't know. Everyone's losing their goddamn mind. J.K. Rowling is pretty intelligent. Norman Miller's a fucking back case stabbing his wife. Um, we learned that your boy's going to st- uh, keep being honest on this podcast. And uh, we made another fucking rule. Aside from living the pristine sneaker life on this podcast, we also return our shopping cart. So, look, man, you're either with that program or you're not. If you are, thank you. I'm happy to have you. If you're not, fuck off forever. So do us a favor. If you like the podcast, if you want to stick around, if you want to wear the pristine sneakers and you want to return shopping carts, you can subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can also take a moment to rate and review the show. If you like the podcast, give us a five-star review and type a couple sentences about why you like it. And if you have someone in your life who you think would like the show, send them your favorite episode. And uh, let's see if we can grow this thing. Otherwise, 
Man, episode 39 in the bag. We're about to hit episode 40 next week. And then we're kind of on that downhill coast to our one-year anniversary, uh, which I think will be about the 52, uh, episode 52 mark, right? I think there are 52, 52 weeks in a year. But God, man, we've done a great job so far this year. We've got a, a new episode every week, and uh, we'll fucking just keep doing it, man. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for your time. And ciao for now. <laughs>